Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to James chapter 2, the book of James chapter 2. We continue our study through the New Testament. And Brother James, in what he's about to write about, or what he has written about, but what we're about to study, what he's written about is uh, partiality. Partiality and both rich and poor. And we see here in verse 1, he says, My brethren... My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Or translates as partiality, translates as favoritism or respect of persons. Now, remember, Romans chapter 2 verse 11 reveals to us that God is no respecter of persons. You see, he doesn't care about skin color. He doesn't care about, you know, poor, rich, skinny, chubby. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about bank accounts. And understanding that God is no respecter of persons, neither are his people. So you say, hold on a second. You say, Christians do show favoritism. And, you know, I understand, but that's also precisely the point. That God is no respecter of persons and neither are his people. And this is what Brother James is going to write to us about or what he has written about. It's what we're going to study today. I've had conversations with both rich and poor. And you know what's interesting? They breathe the same oxygen. They sweat, they cry, they go to the bathroom, they laugh, they love. They have concerns, they have sorrows. And yes, there's different experience on experiences on one hand, but also similar experiences on the other hand. Look what brother James says. Where he says in verse 1, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In verse 2 he says, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel. Now, Brother James, he's about to illustrate instructions through writing inspired of the Spirit as a vessel of the Lord. Now, understand, he doesn't say, if the wealthy man enters, kick him out. He doesn't say that at all. Don't forget, there are instructions in the Bible for both slaves and masters or in modern terminology, for both employee and employer, for both poor and the rich, and as one body together in love feast and koinonia. Carnal division, that's the path of the flesh. It's the path of the baby. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Brother Paul highlights this? He says, you guys are babies and still on milk. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you guys are babies because you're still on milk. And why are they still on milk? Why are they still babies? He says, for where there is envy, strife, and division. Are you not carnal? And that's what happens when there's class warfare. Envy. Oh, this guy's got that and I don't have it. This lady's got that and I don't have it. And then there's strife. And then divisions rise up. And it doesn't just happen with, you know, uh, 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 you know the, 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 the juxtaposition with poor and rich. It happens in other areas as well. That's why the Lord says, do not covet. Do not covet. You see, he knows the nature of his creation. He is the potter. We are the clay. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. And so what does he do? He gives us instructions. 
conduct unto righteousness. And he uses his vessels to tell us, such as Brother James. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, listen, he says, you guys are still babies. You're still on milk because of the division, because of the envy and the strife. It's very interesting because I know poor people who envy the rich. And what's interesting is I also know rich people who envy the poor. And you know what just blows me away? Satan, he attacks and distracts both groups. Now, where you see the exploitation of these factions of rich and poor, know and understand that it's the path of the flesh and the way of the baby. And it's very common today. I mean, if you're in a fellowship where the pastor teaches class warfare, oh, these rich people, these rich people, these rich people, or the opposite, Oh, these poor people, these poor people. If you're in a fellowship where the pastor teaches class warfare, you cannot grow and mature there. Because through these evil exploitations, you stay a baby. And that's not good. In Corinth, Paul said, I wish I could give you the deeper truths. I wish I could give you the spiritual ribeyes and the spiritual porterhouse and the spiritual pork chops. I wish I could give that to you. But Paul says, I can't. Why? Because they're babies. What parent would give a, a two-week-old baby? What parent would dangle, you know, a, 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 a medium well a, a, a porterhouse in front of the baby? No, that would be foolish because the baby can't eat. The baby needs milk. And milk is beautiful, but milk is for babies. Understand the question is, is that baby going to grow? Is that baby going to mature to the point where he or she can eat those things as the teeth grow? And Paul says that, I wish I could give you these deeper spiritual truths, but I cannot. Remember our study in Hebrews 5 and 6? Just so happens that we studied that not too long ago. And where, you know, regarding maturity and moving on from the elementary things, it is written, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, understand that carnality, the flesh, the ways of the flesh and the carnal nature, it is a restrictor of maturity. Brother James doesn't say here in chapter two of the book of James, he doesn't say the rich guy isn't welcomed. He doesn't say that at all. He gives instruction based on the comparison of rich and poor. Let's continue in verse 2. And he says in verse 2, If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. Now, in the Greek, it's very interesting because it translates as shabby, dirty, and cheap clothes. And Brother James says, look at the comparison of the two. The rich guy comes in with his gold rings and fine apparel. And then you have another guy who comes in and he's, his clothing is shabby, dirty, and cheap. I mean, I've seen shirts that are free of charge. I've seen shirts that are $5. I've seen shirts that are $5,000. And you know what? They're all shirts. 
So a guy walks in the church in dirty and cheap clothes. And let's see what happens here in verse 3. And Brother James says, and you pay attention. And you pay attention, or, you know, translates in the Greek as you give respect to the one wearing fine clothes. And say to him, you sit over here. You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there. You see, the rich guy gets to sit down at the good place. The poor guy? To the poor guy, you see that place way in the back? That, you know, where there's no chairs? You, you go stand over there. Sorry, we don't have any chairs. You see what's happening? And knowing that God is no respecter of persons, why should we? Knowing that God is no respecter of persons, why should we be respecter of persons? It shouldn't be the case, but yet we see it happen. Why do we see it happen? Because of the flesh, because of the carnal nature. You see? Because of the babiness that we see in fellowships today. And this is what Brother James writes about. And so to the poor man, you know, hey, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool, he says in verse 3. Look what's happening. The rich guy gets to sit. The poor guy has to stand in the back. You see, oh, you know, you're poor. You don't want to stand in the back. You, you, you'd prefer to sit down. Okay. Okay, well, you're already dirty and, you know, you have your cheap clothes on. So, you know, we have no chairs. But, you know, why don't you sit on the floor next to my dirty feet? And all this, while knowing that God is no respecter of persons, and while also knowing that God's footstool, it's the entire earth. That's Isaiah 66, verse 1. That's what the Bible says the earth is, is God's footstool. See, God is no respecter of persons. You think God will, won't say anything about that? In a fellow, I mean, he's saying plenty through his vessel by the name of James. He says a lot. And using this vessel that we call Brother James, James is bringing up this exact point. Notice in verse 2, he says, if there should come into your assembly. Just giving an example. The rich guy comes in. The poor guy comes in. One's got really nice clothing and gold rings. And you can know, okay, this guy, he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's got some cash flow. And the other guy comes in with this filthy clothes. Maybe a little stinky. And Brother James says, listen. You're showing partiality by showing favoritism or giving respect or paying greater attention to the rich guy. When you give respect to the rich guy. Now listen, in the ways of the world, that's one thing. But the church is not in accordance to the ways of the world. The church is God's house. And understanding that the church is God's house what is what are the blueprints that the Lord has for his house? Well, it is written. And the spirit of the Lord 
inspired Brother James to write and teach and tell us on these things. He said, Brother James says, remember in verse two, if there should come, just using the example, if this should happen where you do give respect to the rich guy and you, you know, for the poor guy, hey, no chair for you. You got to stand over there in the back. Oh, what, you know, you, you want to sit down? Okay, here, sit at my feet or sit at my footstool next to my dirty feet. And Brother James says here in verse four, he says, have you not, have you not shown partiality among yourselves? Among yourselves? You see, in verse 2, just, just by noting here, if there should come, if this scenario should arise in your fellowship, if this should happen, where you do show partiality among yourselves, you see what's being revealed? Favoritism. You see? Favoritism. Partiality. But there's something else that's also revealed when that happens. I shouldn't say when, if it happens, but we see it happen. Look what's revealed here in verse four. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become, notice it's a process, and become judges with evil thoughts? And this translates as evil reasoning, evil consideration, and evil purpose. Do you remember our studies in the Old Testament? The Old Covenant? Understand the Old Covenant does teach about the importance of leaders and elders and judges and oh, when the leaders lead. Remember our study about Deborah not too long ago in the book of Judges? Oh, when the leaders lead. But there's a very specific formula to leadership. And when a person becomes corrupted, everything goes out of whack. It just goes out of whack. And that happens through corruption. Now, corruption comes from certain, there's certain reasons why it happens, various reasons why it happens. But it happens. Corruption. And in one sense, that's putting it lightly, too, because the Bible refers to harlotry. And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. A person might say, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. I'm in the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, we see the exact same corruption. Judges with evil ways inside the church. Notice verse 4. Have you not... If this should happen, have you not shown partiality among yourselves in verse four and become, notice the process, become judges with evil thoughts. This is inside the church. And brother James says in verse five, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world? And you know, I love this so much. The poor of this world, knowing that this world is fading and it absolutely will fade. There is a manner in accordance to the world and even poverty will fade. Where there absolutely will be a richness, a richness beyond comprehension. Absolutely. 
Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And it blows me away about, you know, these, these con men who write books and make movies about heaven, con men who say they, you know, oh, I had a near-death experience and for just... $29.99, you can buy my book and I tell you all about it. Con men. For your love gift of $19.99, we'll send you this book about heaven. A guy who had a, a near-death experience. Con men. They say they saw heaven. And then they describe it with such splendor you know so they can sell their books and movie tickets and it's an evil trap and christians get ensnared by such wicked 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 deception i mean when paul was in the third heaven into paradise you know what he said he said i can't speak about it he says it cannot be uttered i i, I can't utter I can't even speak on it. That's what Brother Paul says. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 that of, about what God has prepared, that it cannot be uttered. That eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It cannot be uttered. I mean, you know, that's if a person is worthy to see paradise. And if a person is worthy, they're not going to talk about it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Minds haven't even thought about the reality of what God has in store. But know this, it's for those who love him. For those who love him. And remember the words of our Lord. Where Jesus says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. And this is where people go crazy and attempt to do the law of the old covenant. And they willfully and woefully forget what is written in Hebrews chapter 7. Remember, it just so happens that we finish our study in the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 11, the writer says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, in verse 12 of Hebrews 7, the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change 
of the law. You see? So when Jesus says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. Understand, there is a change of the law. And a lot of people, they say, well, Jesus says, obey my commandments. So I'm going to go back to the law. And that's how they get seduced, just like what happened in Galatia. And that's why Paul was marveling. He says, I marvel that you so soon are turning away from Jesus. And yet it is written that the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. You see? I'll simply echo the words of my master. If you love him, follow him. If you love him, obey his commandments. Going back to James chapter 2, where Brother James is telling us about the poor of this present world who have been chosen by God. And we look at verse 5, where he says, Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? I meant, have you ever seen the faith of a poor person? And yes, I say seen on purpose because it's palpable. It's a richness that is not comprehended by this world. And God has chosen the the poor to be rich in faith. I mean, look at Smyrna. Look at Smyrna. Of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, only Philadelphia and Smyrna don't have to repent. You know why? Because they're already clean before the Lord. They're already clean. They have good pastors there. Good pastors in Philadelphia. Good pastors in Smyrna. And Smyrna's poor. I mean, when Jesus speaks of Lazarus and the rich man, let me ask you a question. What's the rich guy's name? Straight up, what's the rich guy's name? I mean, in this world, everybody knows the name of the multi-millionaires, the multi-billionaires. Those whose names are listed on Forbes, you know, Fortune 500. Everybody knows their names. But who knows the name of the person who dwells in the Casa de Carton, the cardboard house with a dirt floor, a 10 by 10 with eight in the family? Where's their list? Where's their Forbes? Where's their Fortune 500? You won't find it in this world. But in the Bible, what's the name of the rich guy? Because the name we know, it's Lazarus. No respecter of persons is our Lord. And this is what Brother James is talking about. 
You're in fellowship. Rich guy walks in, poor guy walks in. And in the ways of the world, everybody gives attention to the rich guy. But in God's house, where he gives the blueprints, where, you know, in the church and outside the church, you know, the Lord, he is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about bank accounts. You see? And this is what Brother James is writing about. And yes, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. And see, this is where the Methodists and the Lutherans, the Episcopals, the Unitarians, Trinitarians, this is where they err, among other errors, but this is one of them, one of many areas where they err. God absolutely promises an inheritance. But the Bible says, to those who love him. And don't forget, Jesus also says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey me. Obey my commandments. Oh, do we follow the law? Do we follow Torah? No. Of necessity, there is a change of the law. You see, you're poor, there is one way. You're rich, there is one way. You're in the middle, you're like in, in between poor, you're in between rich. Okay, still, one way. I don't care who you are. I mean, I care who you are, but I don't care, you know, about your bank account. There is one way. Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just a messenger. He is the one who says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And I don't care if your bank account has zero. I don't care if your bank account has, you know, hundreds of zeros. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Understanding that he is the only way to the Father? You hit pause and you listen to the message right here, right now, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're Lutheran, if you're Episcopal, if you're Methodist, if you're Unitarian, Trinitarian, I say unto you, come out of her, my people, repent and be clean before the Lord. You Lutheran, you Episcopal, you Methodist, Unitarian, Trinitarian, you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. Come out of her, my people. Brother James, in explaining things, remember saying, if this should happen where favoritism and partiality is shown, look at verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man, he says. You have dishonored the poor man. Well, don't forget in verse 4, the process of becoming judges with evil thoughts. And here in verse 6, you've, you've dishonored the poor man. And in this comparison of poor and rich, he says, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? 
And this is something that's always been the same for a very long time. It's the fact that the rich, they have connections. Rich people have connections. I mean, when judges and elders are corrupt, they serve the highest bidder. They become the paid advocate of the rich and do the bidding of the rich. We don't have to, you know, expound on this because we see it. We see it. Do you remember our studies through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and how every now and then there would be the mention of how we have the base plate of Torah, And, you know, as soon as we're out of Deuteronomy, we get into Joshua and Judges, and we're going to see, we're going to see how people do not retain the knowledge of the Lord. I mean, everything would be quite lovely when the formula is right in The priesthood, when the formula is right in the elders, when the formula is right in the judges. And we see moments of time where the formula is right. And when the formula is right, we see restoration in Israel. But when it's wrong, when it gets out of whack, that's where we start to see the oppressors come in. And yes, that's Old Testament. But the same thing happens in accordance to the New Covenant. You see? It's a different kind of oppression. And you get into demonic oppression. Where in the Old Testament there is an oppression according to the flesh... But as new covenant believers, there is also an oppression according to the spirit in the spirit realm. I don't mean according to the, you know, to the Holy Spirit, but according in the spirit realm. Remember the demons with the sons of Siva were, you know, they're the ones that say, Jesus, we know, Paul, we know, but who in the world are you? You see, Paul formula was right in Paul and the demons knew. The demons absolutely knew Jesus. But these guys? Who in the world are they? And they fled naked, the sons of Siva. Why? Wrong formula. They couldn't fight that fight. I don't care how big they were. They they might be like, you know, huge. They might go to the gym every day. They might work out. They might have, you know, 40-inch arms. But they can't fight that fight. And that's what's so beautiful about fighting, learning to fight according to the spirit. You know why? Because you could have little tiny noodle arms and be a mighty warrior. But there's a very, very specific formula. When corruption in the Old Testament, when corruption enters the heart of the leaders... I mean, don't forget that the the, the priesthood, 
They don't have the inheritance that the other tribes do. Why? Because their inheritance is, you know, from, you know, what the, uh, 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 from the inheritance of the other tribes. It's not a direct inheritance. Like, you know, Judah has a portion, uh, Manasseh has a portion, but the Levites, their portion is based on what is given by these other tribes. And remember when we study this in, 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 in Deuteronomy and, 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 and Leviticus as well, how we would make mention from time to time that when everything is followed, then it, it's, it works out fine. It works out beautifully. And when I say that, I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. Remember, the law is a tutor. The law is holy. But don't forget, remember the low beams and high beams? There is a greater glory. And the greater glory is the fulfillment of the law. The greater glory is Jesus Christ. Not according to the order of Aaron. But that of Melchizedek. But what happens when the, the priests start to figure, well, you know, I don't have any, according to Torah, I don't have a, an inheritance, but you know, I take a portion from Judah. I take a portion from Manasseh. You see, there's plenty room for corruption. There's room for obedience as well, but the person has to choose. And when corruption sets in, these leaders, they become the advocates of the rich. And Brother James here in James chapter 2, all he's doing is he's simply reminding the church about this reality. In verse 6, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? You see, you want to give greater honor to the oppressor? And dishonor the poor? Dishonor the one who God has chosen to be rich in faith? Of the rich? Look what, look what James says here in verse 7. Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? You see? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? I meant... You can ask 10 rich people what they think about Jesus. You can ask 10 poor people what they think about Jesus, and you'll see greater respect given by the poor. You'll see the greater respect given unto the Lord. You'll see it given by the poor. Don't forget, and if you've been walking with us for a while, our studies in the book of Matthew, Matthew 19, where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, in time of need, where's the, where does the rich guy go? Straight up, in, in time of need, where does the rich guy go? I'll give you the answer. Anywhere they want to. Where a rich guy says, oh, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling a little down, I'm, I'm kind of depressed. I think I'm going to have my pilot fly me to Barbados. They have 
all sorts of resources. I mean, just like you know, the rich they 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 pay off judges. They also pay off doctors. You know, give me a prescription for this. Give me a prescription for that. I'm feeling down in the dump, so you know, I'm I'm not even gonna get buy a plane ticket. I already have my private plane. The pilot, he's on payroll. And he's going to fly me in my private jet wherever I want to go. So I'm feeling down in the dumps. Hey, pilot, take me to Barbados. You see? Where does the poor guy go? In time of need, where does the poor guy go? Where does he go? I'll give you the answer. He can't go anywhere. He can't afford to go anywhere except on his knees before the Lord. You see? On his knees before the Lord. If you're listening and you're poor, I know we have a lot of listeners. I teach from America. I know we have listeners all around the world in regions where there is major, major poverty. And if that's you, be of good cheer. Because you are rich in faith. And if you're rich and you're listening, understand there are hurdles to jump through for the rich. There are several big hurdles, big hurdles. You know why? Because if you're rich, you need to learn to love humility. Humility. While also ridding yourself of certain expectations in that quest for humility in the quest for meekness you know when the rich go out to dinner they don't they don't dine like the commoners they don't even park their cars like the commoners you know what they do they drive to the front door and if they drive themselves but they drive to the front door the attendants at the restaurant they open the door for all the occupants they get the best tables, the choicest meats, the freshest seafood caught and flown in that same day. You could be anywhere in the world and you have, you know, a, a freshly caught lobster that same morning. And it was, you know, you know, the air freighted in. Choicest meats. I meant going to the restroom. You know, the person doesn't even open the doors. There's an attendant in the bathroom. They open the door. The attendant turns on the water for you. They even pump the soap for you. They hand you the warm towel. You return to the table. The attendant pulls out your seat that drapes the napkin on your lap. These are big hurdles for the rich man, the rich woman. These are huge hurdles for the rich to jump through in order to learn humility and meekness. And it's very difficult. Not impossible. Not impossible at all, but it's difficult. But not impossible, as evidenced in beautiful Joseph. Joseph in the Bible. Where the apostles, they gave him another name. Barnabas. It's not impossible. In Christ, all things are possible. But if you're poor, be of good cheer. If you're rich, 
Be a lover of humility. Learn to be humble. Learn to be meek. Just like Barnabas. You see? And Brother James says here in verse 8, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, he says. If you really follow the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. You see? You do well. That's beautiful. I mean, you're poor? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're rich? Love your neighbor as yourself. Or your neighbor is poor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is rich. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, God is no respecter of persons and neither are his people. If you're listening and you believe in Jesus and you're maturing, you're growing, but yet you realize that you are are a respecter of persons while also knowing that God is not a respecter of persons. You know what you do? Let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. You got to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Now, something else that has to be said, and it might seem left field or even inappropriate, but it's very appropriate. It has to be said. Qualified overseers must oversee. Because when Brother James is writing about this poor and rich and not to dishonor the poor man in verse 6, there's this understanding in tandem with this truth and it's in regard with in regards to qualified overseers who must oversee i mean take the catholic church for example or catholic charities where you know they say well the bible says we have to love on the poor so that's what we're going to do we're going to love on the poor so what do they do? They welcome the poor and they also give them government-supplied crack pipes. That's what's happening. It's literally happening. And just so you know, when I, when I say Catholicism, I'm not saying that Catholicism is anything that resembles biblical Christianity. Those overseers, those priests, they are biblically disqualified. Catholicism is not Christianity. But yet they use verses such as this. Well, we got to welcome the poor. We got to welcome the poor. We got to welcome the poor. And what do they do? They welcome the poor, but they also welcome a whole lot of other things. The qualified overseers must oversee. Yeah, the poor can be welcomed in and the poor, the, the poor should be welcomed in, welcomed in. But we all, rich or poor, 
need to move on to perfection. You see? I mean, look at churches today where they welcome the poor. They say, well, Brother James says, you know, that I shouldn't show partiality and I should welcome the poor and, you know, not show favoritism for the rich. So I'm going to do just that. And they welcome the poor. But at the same time, they never teach the men. They never teach the men that a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Because that's what the Bible says. You see, disqualified pastors, they cultivate carnality. Disqualified pastors cultivate the flesh. How can you tell? Well, it's easy. It's really simple. It's really simple. It's not hard at all. It's intricate, but it's not difficult at all. Super easy. I'll give you the answer. It's what our Lord says himself. You know what he says? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. You see, the overseer must be wise. Must be wise to address all these things that can arise in the church and address in a manner that is pleasing to to the Lord. And all the while praying to the Lord. Because that's how leaven enters the church. Yes, it's so beautiful to be welcoming to the poor. So beautiful. And yes, it is holy to be welcoming to everybody. It's beautiful. But what happens inside the church? A person comes into church. And if there's, you know, 50 people in the church and a person walks in and 50 people are speaking in tongues, you know what Brother Paul says? He says, this guy's going to think everybody's crazy. And you know what? That guy who comes into the church thinking everybody's crazy, he's right. Because there's no order in the fellowship. And there has to be order. There must be order. Or a person walks into church, doesn't know anything about the Lord, but just he just wants to check it out. And he sees the power of the Lord. The conviction of sin and says, you know, the, the pastor gives the altar call. And the guy comes in, the lady walks in, says, you know what? I'm done with sin. I mean, you know, I'm done with the crack. I'm done with the alcohol. I'm done with the sex. I'm done with this. I want Jesus. What do I do? And just like Brother Peter says, repent. Repent and believe. And so a person comes to Christ. Male, female, young, old. And it's beautiful. And every single one of us comes to Jesus at 0%. Remember our study in Hebrews? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to those studies. They're Hebrews, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Everything's housed for you. Everything's archived for you. So that you can have this understanding in preparation for the bridegroom who's coming. 
So a person walks into church where there's order. A person speaks in tongues, there's the interpretation. One person speaks in tongues, the other person gives the interpretation. Straight up, thus saith the Lord. And this person comes in and is like, oh my goodness. And starts to learn the fear of the Lord. Is convicted of sin, becomes a believer. Now that person who's, whatever was his or her baggage that they brought in. They don't leave with that same baggage. I don't care if you're alcoholic. I mean, I care. But when it comes to salvation, I don't care if you're alcoholic. I don't care if you're a sex head. I don't care if you're a crackhead. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care if you're extortion. I don't care if you do the white collar crimes. I don't care if you're whatever. You come to Christ. You believe in Jesus. You repent and you come to Jesus Christ and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. But understand, we don't stay there. We come to Christ at 0%. We don't come by, you know, there's no works that that earn us to, to come to Christ, that get us to that position. We come to Christ at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We move on to perfection. And we grow and we mature in Christ. And we come to Christ. We're new believers in Jesus Christ and we're babies in Christ. And milk is very appropriate for the baby believer. But we don't stay on milk. You see? It's very important. These are things that have to be said. Because when leaven is left to fester, you have disqualified pastors who say, you know, Brother James says we have to welcome the poor, so we're going to welcome the poor. And in welcoming the poor, we're going to accommodate the poor. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so, you know, the disqualified pastor who says, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm not going to teach that, you know, he's got to get a job so he can support his family because if he doesn't, he's worse than an unbeliever. I'm not going to teach that. It's too convicting. I'm not going to teach that. But instead, I want to accommodate this person. So what is it? The person was, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 doing his crack on the street. Okay, I'm going to, you know, sign up and give my government sponsored crack pipes and I'm going to help him do his crack. You see? That's what the disqualified overseer is doing today. But instead, the poor guy can come in and learn the ways of righteousness from the qualified shepherd, from the qualified overseers. You see, they can learn the ways of righteousness in becoming righteous themselves. And the righteousness of the Christian is not righteousness of self. It's Jesus. When leaven is left to fester, it opens the door for wickedness. 
You see? And apostasy while prophesied, it happens for a reason. There's a whole lot, a whole lot of disqualified overseers. You see, it seems like left field to even bring this up about the overseers, but it has to be said. It has to be said. Remember, in a fellowship of believers, in a fellowship of believers where it is beautiful to bear one another's burdens. It is so beautiful to bear one another's burdens. But to bear burdens with leaven? That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And the qualified overseers must oversee. You ever see moms at the playground? I love moms at the playground. It's so beautiful to see all like you have this playground and the kids, they, the little tiny kids and they go to play. And, you know, you see the moms and, you know, the, the moms aren't telling the kids. They're not telling the kids about, you know, child abduction. They're not telling the kids about rape and murder and, you know, uh, uh, drugs and needles. They're not telling the kids about that at all. You know what the moms are saying? They're saying, hey, have fun. Have fun. You play. Go play. Be nice. You know, giving little basic instructions, you know, be nice. Don't fight. Be nice and play. And you see the kids, you see all different colors. You see the skinny kids, the chubby kids, and everybody's playing. All the kids are playing. Now, if one kid finds a needle, boom, the moms respond. You see, if there's the guy on the corner who's creeping, boom, the moms respond. And I love that so much because in the church where the flock can come and gather and exercise these things of faith, exercise our faith together, but at the same time to exercise the gifts of the Spirit as given by the Holy Spirit. It's like the moms at the park. Hey, have fun. Be nice. Don't fight. And they're not getting in the, they're not teaching the kids about the nitty gritty of the, 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 the ugly. Not yet. The kids, they're too young. You see, the moms are just, hey, have fun. Don't fight. Be nice. Play nice. And have fun. And you see the kids, they're just having a blast. And say there's a little disagreement in the park. It's like at the playground. You see the moms, boom, they respond. No fighting. Be nice. And it's the same thing in the church. With the males. Overseers, always male. Covering, always male. Where the pastor and elders can teach, instruct, equip. 
And the saints, the flock, lamb and sheep, they can exercise their faith safely. And when the works of the flesh start to become evident, the elders, the overseers can address that lovingly. Telling a brother, telling a sister, hey, you know, this isn't the way of a Christian because this is what the Bible says. And this is kind of like, you know, offside. You see? And then that person can either say, you know what? You're right. The Bible does say this. I didn't understand. You're right, pastor. You're right, elder. You know, the Bible does say this. I didn't understand before, but I repent. You see, it's safe. That fellowship, when the formula is right, it's safe for saints to exercise their faith. But when the formula is wrong, it is no longer safe. You see? And that's what we're going to see on overdrive. It's already happening. We see it already. But that's going to be on overdrive in the last days. Disqualified pastors. You see? And you see a lot of churches today with the COVID shutdowns. They're hurting financially. In one sense, it hurts. But in another sense, I like it. You know why? Because it's these mega churches. They're shutting down. I like that. Remember Old Testament? Who is there who would shut the doors? But you see these ministries. They're start. They're doing all kinds of crazy things. They're they're selling like their drugs now. They're you know they're you know getting into like you know their uh, uh, you know CBDs and all these different things. It's like what in the world is happening? Because it's all about the profits. It's all about the profits. Oh, we got to support salary. We got to fund salary, so you know we need to sell these extra things. It's happening. Oh, we want to get chummy with the government because of government subsidies. So we want to get chummy with the government. Get on these government subsidies. That's going to help us with our cash flow. And all of a sudden they become dependent on government subsidies. You know, you know who calls the shots when there's dependency on government subsidies? You know who calls the shots? The government. Look at what's happening in China. It's been happening for a while, but it's getting worse. In other countries around the world, where it's government that calls the shots. Because you have wicked pastors. Disqualified shepherds. It's happening. And this is nothing. Where we're at, the, you know, 2022, almost in 23. This is nothing. This is a walk in the park. It's going to get worse. Much, much, much worse. And Brother James here in chapter 2, 
He says, listen, he says in verse 9, he says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, remember, the law has loopholes. Remember our study in Hebrews. There are loopholes in the law and inabilities of the law. And James doesn't say this to highlight the law. He highlights the better law. Look at verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For whosoever, or in verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, in verse 12, so, Brother James gives the remedy. So, speak and so do, as those who would be judged by the law of liberty. This isn't a free-for-all. It's, it's, it, this isn't like, you know, quasi-libertarianism. It's the law of liberty and freedom. Where the word of God says, you know, and if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. That's from John chapter 8. For judgment in verse 13. Judgment, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I mean, just in reading the Bible, just in reading the Bible, it's easy to see God's mercy. Because you see sin after sin after sin after sin. And yes, we do see instances of judgment. But far greater is mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Because God is merciful. And so are his people. And Brother James in continuing to teach he says in verse 14 for what does it profit what does it profit my brethren i love this so much he just wrote about the rich and the poor and now he writes about profit profit in a manner that is not in accordance to the world but in a manner that is in accordance to the word of god what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith you know it seems fine you know i have faith i have faith what could go wrong But if someone says that he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? Whoa. That's a loaded question. Can faith save this person? Can faith save the person who says he has faith and does not have works? It's a bold question. Remember, We are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Brother Paul, he says this, Ephesians 2, verse 8. He says, for grace you have been, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, many saints, they stop here and proclaim, we're not saved by works. Many, many saints, they stop right here. Look at verse 9, we're not saved by works, you know, you know, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And they just, they run with it. What do I say? Keep reading. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by works. We are saved for works. For works. Brother James gives an example of good works. Look at verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. Now, it's very interesting that we don't see just anyone who is in need. It is the brother or the sister who is in need. I don't want to say that non-believers can't be ministered to because they can But remember, the door into Christ must always be presented. You have ministries, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And when Jesus Christ is not presented, when the door is not presented, ministry isn't ministry. Ministry ceases to be ministry when that happens. When people just want to serve their community, they can call it a ministry all they want, but it really isn't a ministry. It's just habitat for humanity. That's it. And don't get me wrong, habitat for humanity, they do help people on earth. But that kind of aid will not rescue a person from hell. Hellfire damnation. You see? But a ministry that goes into a community and helps people with things of the flesh, like, you know, feeding the homeless, food for the belly, clothing for the back. Or when a natural disaster comes and you have ministries that go and help families, help people who are hurting The door must always be presented. If it's going to be called a ministry, Jesus Christ must always be presented. Because if he's not, it ceases to be ministry and all it is is habitat for humanity. You can help a person. You could put pancakes in his belly. You can put hamburgers in his belly. You can give him a jacket. But he's still going to burn in hell. You see? In verse 15, Brother James indicates, he says, If brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, very clearly in need, the body caring for the body, or at least opportunity for the body to care for the body, because in verse 15, it's brother or sister. And verse 16, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, 
Be warmed and filled. And you know, this sure sounds nice. Peace, warmth, filling, all sounds nice. But there's a problem. The brother or sister is still naked and still destitute of daily food. The other person can say this or that, but James is writing about something else. The acts, the doing. Where are they? Because a person can say, oh, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Sure sounds nice. But where are the, where are the deeds? Where's the doing? And he says here in verse 16, where one of, one, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? You see, there is no profit. There is no gain. Now remember, just like our studies in Hebrew, or Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we come to Jesus at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We move on to perfection. 1%, that's good works. 3%, that's good works. 8%, that's good works. And we move on to perfection. When we hit, when we hit 100%, we're going to be dead. But we can strive for that 99.9%. Remember, Paul says, I don't count myself to, as apprehended. I press forward. He's an old guy at the time. Old man Paul says, I press forward. You see, it's the flesh. The flesh will always prevent spiritual growth. And we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit help every believer in Jesus? I wish I could say yes. I wish I could say yes. Because in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we see a group of Christians, new believers, baptized into Jesus, and they have not the Spirit. Which is quickly remedied. When Peter and John come to town and they perceive that the Holy Spirit has not, had not fallen on them. And what do they do? They lay hands. And when they lay hands, the Spirit falls upon these believers. Except for one, Simon. Why? Because of wickedness in his heart. You see, Peter and John qualified qualified and not to suggest that philip was disqualified no way no way one body many parts philip the evangelist and then you have peter and john qualified they're all qualified but you see how the holy spirit you have christians in assembly And yet the Holy Spirit was not in them. You see? Peter and John lay hands. They received the Spirit except for one. His name is Simon. And the Bible says it's because of his wickedness. I mean, here in verse 16 in James chapter 2, 
You see in verse 15 and 16, there's brother or sister who's straight up naked and destitute of daily food. Very clearly and obviously in need. And yet there's no works. There's words where a person just says, okay, depart in peace, be warmed and feel, you know, depart, like, you know, get out of here. Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But there's no works, no acts, no doing. You see? And Brother James poses the question, what does it profit? In verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's look at that in verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know what blows me away so much? It blows me away so much. You have Calvinists and Reformed people. And they proclaim the five solas. The five solas in which is found Sola fide, and they cry out, Sola fide, Sola fide, Sola fide. It's Latin. Faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. Or faith by itself, faith by itself, faith by itself. What does the Bible say? Faith by itself is dead. Faith alone is dead. Sola fide is dead. That's what the Bible says. And yet they have pictures on their walls, magnets on their fridges, refrigerators, stickers on their cars. Sola fide, sola fide, sola fide. And the Bible says, sola fide is dead. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not, have works is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. See, attempting to separate the two without understanding that the two are inseparable. Faith and works, package deal. Remember the example we gave, you know, not too long ago about you and me, we're getting a hamburger. We're at a burger joint. We're at the, the counter and I say, you know, I want a number one. Give me number one. And you say, give me number one. Now, we're not getting a singular item. It, it's a package deal. We're each getting a burger. We're getting fries and we're getting a soda package deal in like manner. So is faith and works. It's a package deal. And brother James says here in verse 18, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And Brother James says, show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You see, the guy from verse 16 who says, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Be warmed and filled, depart in peace. Say it's the next day, the very next day. He said that to a sister in Christ just yesterday. She's destitute of daily food. 
What does he have to show? You know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing. And Brother James, he's not boasting. He's not boasting at all. And he says in verse 18, when he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. No, he's not. He's not boasting by saying, you know, I will show you my faith. No. He's a pattern for emulation. Because what if the same sister, instead of approaching the guy from verse 16, what if she approached Brother James? She has need of clothing, has need of, she's destitute for daily food. And just yesterday, instead of going to the verse 16 guy, she goes to Brother James. And immediately, he provides her with clothing, with food, for provisions. He provides it. And that happened yesterday. And so here we are the very next day. His works are seen without him saying a word. Without him saying a word, his works are seen. Because the sister... She's no longer in want. She has clothing. She has food. She's no longer in need. The day after, his works are seen. Or with the other guy, the verse 16 guy who says, depart in peace and be filled, be warmed and filled. The next day, nothing to show for. You see? Now, again, I have to say it might seem very inappropriate to mention this, but it needs to be said. Qualified overseers must oversee. Because these truths are severely abused in the church. Where the non-believer is the freeloader. The baby is the freeloader. The leaven is the freeloader. The false brethren... And wolves are the freeloaders. You see? And the qualified overseer must oversee so that the flock can be safe to exercise their faith within the body. Because absent qualified overseers, church becomes a very dangerous place. Look at Maturing in Corinth. Maturing in Corinth was impossible with leaven. Why was there leaven? You could look at the leaven and say, okay, they made their choice. But they made their choice based on what they were taught by the defunct. They made their choice by what they were taught by the disqualified. But maturing in Philippi? Maturing in Philippi? That's a different ballgame. Why? Philippi had beautiful overseers, qualified overseers. I mean, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't been listening very long and you haven't gone through our studies through 1 Corinthians all the way to, well, since we're in James, all the way to James, 
purpose in your heart to do that. Because you'll understand it will help you grow and mature. See? I love this so much. The package deal of faith and works. Brother James continues in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Translates as they shudder. They tremble in fear. You see, a person's argument may be, well, you know, I believe in one God, which seems to be good and sounds good. But Brother James he compares belief in God to the demons and how they react. And the demons, they tremble in fear. But do they obey? Do the demons obey? No. Because a person who says they believe in God seems to be in good standing. But when belief is in accordance to one's own terms and not God's terms, we have problems. Brother James, he doesn't hold back in posing a question. Let's look at verse 20. He says in verse 20, But do you want to know, O foolish man? Do you even want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do you even want to know? I'm in love with Brother James. Do you even want to know? That's what he's asking. Remember, a letter to the church. Do you even want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Because faith without works is the path of least resistance. It's easy. Because in the verse 16 example, you have a sister that needs food. And the person just says, okay, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. They can speak whatever nicety they want. And they still have their own food in their own fridge, clothes on their own back, their own money in their own bank account. You know what we see? No sacrifice. There's no sacrifice. Faith without works is easy, according to the flesh. According to the flesh, faith without works is easy. The only way, the only way faith and works is easy is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean... Understand that faith without works, it's a piece of cake according to the flesh. That's the verse 16 guy. And the only way according to the spirit where faith and works is easy, according to the spirit, the only way it is easy is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The helper, the paracletus. Where Sacrifice becomes easy with the Helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit. Where a guy can have 
Leftover chicken in his fridge. He could have the fixins for hot dogs and hamburgers in his refrigerator. He could have lettuce for a nice salad. He can have pasta in his pantry. He can have all kinds of things. And then you have the sister who's destitute of daily food. And he says, oh, you know what? You know, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. No sacrifice. But then you have Brother James who says, okay, I'll show you my faith by my works. Yeah, I got chicken in the fridge. I was going to have a nice dinner tonight. Yeah, I have the fixings for hamburgers and hot dogs. And I have the fixings for salad, nice little salad. I, I have the fixings. We can, we can have spaghetti. I was going to have chicken tonight and spaghetti tomorrow. I got the fixings for it. Look, my pantry's full. My fridge is full. But you know what? No chicken tonight. No spaghetti tomorrow. Sister, you need this. Here, take this, sister. Here's this chicken. It's delicious. You're going to love it. Sister, look. Here's, here's the fixings for spaghetti. You have this chicken for tomorrow. It's a little, it's a lot, you know, you're little, you're tiny and you know, it's a lot. So it's going to, it's going to help you for the next couple days. And then when that's gone, here's some spaghetti. Here's some fixings for hamburgers. Nice little salad. You can do your pasta stuff with these noodles. Let me give you the recipe. Let me give you this killer recipe for spaghetti. It's it's going to blow you away. It's going to knock your socks off. Socks off. You're going to love the spaghetti. Now, Brother James, empty fridge. Brother James, empty pantry. Sacrifice. You see? Because faith without works is easy according to the flesh. And we'll say it again. The only way, the only way, the only way that faith and works is easy, according to the Spirit, the only way is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just like that example we gave where Brother James, he was so looking forward to his chicken he's going to have for dinner. He was looking forward to his spaghetti he was going to have tomorrow. He's going to let the sauce simmer all day and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful recipe. But not focusing on self because the meek shall inherit the earth. Being a lover of humility, he sees, oh, my sister, she's starving. My sister, she's starving. So he says, okay, no chicken tonight, no spaghetti tomorrow. And he goes to the sister, hey, this is for you. And you know what? It's pleasing for him to do that. It's not a task. It's pleasing for him to do that. You see, faith and works, it's a package deal. The two are inseparable. And yet people proclaim today, sola fide, sola fide, sola fide. Faith alone, faith alone, faith by itself, faith by itself. And verse 20 testifies. Do they even want to know? 
Do they even want to know? In verse 20, do you even want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do they even want to know that sola fide is dead? To my Calvinist friends and Reformed theology friends, I call it theology, I call it theory. But to my Calvinist and Reformed friends, come out of her, my people. Brother James says in verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now, there seems to be a disconnect here. There seems to be a disconnect. Why? Because Brother Paul says in Romans 4 verse 2 that if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. That's Brother Paul in Romans 4 verse 2. That if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And yet here in James chapter 2, Brother James says, Abraham was justified by works. And you have people, oh, you see, it's a contradiction. You see, the Bible has contradictions. That's what the fool would say. Understand, James says Abraham was justified by works. And Paul says otherwise, or better put, Paul seemingly says otherwise. Because in that same chapter, Romans 4, verse 1, Paul asks a question. He says, what has Abraham found according to the flesh? Question mark. That's a big deal. That's a big deal because we see distinctive elements to style of walk. And I'm speaking about a walk according to the flesh and a walk that is according to the spirit. Go back and listen to our studies through Romans 8. You'll understand more about these two distinctive modalities. One might presume there to be a contradiction with Paul and James, but when we factor the it is also written, there is more clarity to see and understand that Paul and James, they're exactly on the same sheet of music. Why? Same spirit. Same spirit. So Brother James points to Abraham in James chapter 2, verse 21. He points to Abraham when he offered Isaac. So let's look. Turn with me really quick to Genesis chapter 22. A little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, exclamation point, Abraham, he says. And look how Abraham responds. And he said, here I am. And then he said, notice what we see so far. You see, God speaks 
And then Abraham hears. In verse 2, then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. You see, Abraham hears, and there are knowns and unknowns. You see, Abraham hears the Lord and knows that he has what he has to do, and which is a big deal in itself. He knows the general location, but he doesn't know precise location. Now look what happens in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Boom, you see it? Look at what's happened so far. Look at what happened so far. God speaks. Abraham hears. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Boom. Obedience. Abraham hears. Abraham does. He's a hearer of the Lord and a doer of what the Lord says. In verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. I have to say something. I have a profound, profound, profound love for this verse. Verse 4. I have a deep love for this verse. Because Abraham doesn't know the specific location. And in obedience, he's traveling in the area of which God told him. And where God told him, I shall tell you. And in verse 4, we don't see any words spoken. Neither by the Lord, nor by Abraham in verse 4. But in his intimacy with the Lord, we can see it with eyes to see where the Lord reveals Abraham, here is the place. There it is. Verse 2, remember, you know what the Lord says? I shall tell you. And verse 4, you don't see any quotes. You don't see any quotation marks in verse 4. But with eyes to see, you can see the quotation marks. Here it is, Abraham. In verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we, we, we will come back to you. Remember, the Lord told him, take now your son of whom you love and offer him there as a burnt offering. And yet Abraham says in verse 5, we will come back to you. Now, I could say more on this, but we're going to table that for another day. Look what happens here in verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. 
My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said in verse 8, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, exclamation point. So he said, here I am. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you see what? This is what Brother James points to. When Brother James speaks and writes about faith and works, what does he do? He points to Abraham and Isaac. And notice, in this account... We see how God speaks, we see how Abraham hears, and we see how Abraham does. You know what this is? Obedience. This is obedience. And when the Lord speaks and a person obeys, let me tell you something, that is not walking according to the flesh. I mean, as a little disclaimer, remember our study in Hebrews where we know that God speaks through his son and the word became flesh. We must follow the Bible. We must follow the word of God and also with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where there is rigidity to obedience, there is danger. Because it is impossible to endure and stand the test of time. That's religion. That's religion. I'll give you an example. Here's the example. A grumbling believer says, Well, the Bible says I can't get drunk, so I'm not going to drink. And it seems to be good. I mean, with carnal eyes, we can see what seems to be obedience. But the grumbling believer in his heart is fiending for his whiskey. He wants his whiskey. And he has a rigidity to what appears to be obedience. But it's dangerous because the inner man, the old man, the old nature It's still alive. It's still alive. And not crucified. 
The poor chap might be able to avoid strong drink for several months. But he'll be back to the bottle within six months. Let me tell you a better way. It's when Jesus rescues a soul from the chain of strong drink. I mean, any chain really, but here we're looking at the chain of strong drink. And Jesus rescues a person. And the person then reckons the old nature dead and crucifies the flesh and is a new creation with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? The person has no desire for strong drink. No desire for strong drink. That's victory. That's straight up victory. No desire. There's no rigidity to obedience at all. Because the person is a new creation. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going way too far in left field. Let's get back to topic. We're supposed to be studying works. Beloved, we are. Because with Abraham, the Lord said, remember, he called out to Abraham, Abraham, here I am. The Lord spoke. Abraham heard. Abraham did. With us. Does not the Lord say, Reckon the old man dead? Reckon the old woman dead? Crucify the flesh, be dead to sin, and alive in Christ? Does not the word speak? Who has ears? Who has hands? Who has feet? To work. Because when Brother James speaks about works, he is not talking about works according to the flesh. He speaks of works according to the Spirit, pointing to the obedience of Abraham. Understand that works according to the Spirit do enter the realm of the flesh. I mean, don't forget, in, in James chapter 2, verse 15, there's a sister who needs help and needs food. According to the flesh, this is seen. I mean, it, if we were to get in a time in this example that, that Brother James gives, if you and me were to get in a time machine and go back and say this is just an observation, something that Brother James saw, and we said we, we, we saw with our own eyes, like, okay, this is who Brother James is talking about. We could see it with our eyes. I mean, our, according to the flesh, this is seen. There's a sister. She's destitute. She needs food. She needs help. And according to the spirit, the need is remedied. Where then, now, according to the flesh, we can see with our eyes that this need has been remedied. I mean, on one day you see the lady, I mean, her clothing is in tatters. You see she's starving, she needs food. And the very next day she's got like a new wardrobe. The very next day she's got a new wardrobe and she's, you know, she's, 
you know, like rubbing her tummy, like, oh, I'm so stuffed, you know, because she has food, she has provisions, she has provisions for, you know, the next day, the next day, the next day, she has provisions, she's taken care of. And these are things that we can see with our eyes. But that remedy was all done according to the Spirit. You see? Where now, the example we gave, you know, Brother James, his refrigerator is empty, his pantry is empty. And through his sacrifice, which was a joy. It's not like a tad. It's, it's, a, it's a joy. Look at what we see. Look at what we see. This can't be manufactured. I mean, you, you see people in the church. Being... Rigidly obedient. And it seems fine. I mean, it, it seems to be fine. It seems to be okay. It seems to be permissible. You cannot force anyone to reckon their flesh dead. You cannot force anybody to reckon the old man dead. You cannot force anybody to reckon the old woman dead. You cannot. Nobody can do that. A person must choose for himself or herself. That old guy, that old lady, she's dead. He is dead. That's the old nature. He is crucified with Christ. That's the old man. That's the old lady. A person does that for himself or herself. It can't be manufactured. And when you see that, and when you see it with your eyes, because as in the case with Brother James, remember the example we gave, Brother James, his refrigerator's empty, his pantry's empty, and he's not grumbling about it. He's not like, ah, oh, man, I wanted chicken tonight. Ah, oh, man, I wanted spaghetti tomorrow. No, it's a joy. He's happy. He's rejoicing that for the next couple of days, he's going to be hungry. Why? Because he's eating, you know, hot dogs. You know, He's going to be grumpy because no, you don't see that. He's not grumpy. He's a, it's a joy for him to eat those hot dogs. It's a joy for him to have crackers for dinner. Why? Because his sister who is in need. She is no longer in need. And we can see it with our eyes. The sister is rejoicing. James is rejoicing. He's not grumpy. He wasn't manipulated to give chicken and spaghetti. He wasn't manipulated to do that. It was a joy for him to do that. In obedience to the Lord, in his own purpose in running his race, in not counting himself to have achieved, but pressing forward and in pressing forward, 
living sacrificially unto the Lord, desiring to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. No, it's a joy for him to empty his refrigerator. It's a joy for him to empty his pantry and give it to his sister in the Lord. And we can see this with our eyes. You know what else we see? We see Jesus. The body caring for the body. The body caring for the body. I mean, when church is seen as the body of Christ, not just called the body, but when ecclesia, koinonia, love feast. When it is seen as the body of Christ, Christ in whom is no sin, it's pretty easy to understand why Chloe and Paul took major, major issue with Levin. You see? The qualified overseers must oversee because there's plenty of room for corruption and we see corruption happening today where Christians guilt trip one another. Pastors, elders, they guilt trip. Oh, you're not a good Christian. You got to do this. Oh, look, there's a brother in need. There's a sister in need. So you have to empty your fridge. You have to empty your pantry. And you can see a guy says, you know, okay, you know, here, here's your chicken. Here, here's your spaghetti. But he's grumpy about it. That's rigid obedience. That's rigid obedience, if we can call it obedience. You know why? Because it's with grumbling. It's with the murmuring and complaining. It's the, oh man, I wanted my chicken and now she's got to eat it. Oh man, I wanted my spaghetti. Now she's got to eat it. And I got to eat cracker. I got to eat hot dogs. I can't even have hot dogs. I just got to eat, you know, a couple leaves of lettuce. I think I can, you know, grab some salt somewhere. So here, I'll sprinkle some salt in. Oh, man, and he's eating his dinner. You know, a couple leaves of lettuce and grumbling about it. Man, I could have been having chicken tonight. I could have been having spaghetti. But oh, no. Here she is feasting away on my chicken, on my spaghetti. He's grumbling. You say, well, okay. Hey, brother. If you wanted your chicken, if you wanted your spaghetti, why did you give it away? Oh, because my pastor told me to. Oh, because my elder told me to. So you didn't want to, brother? No, I wanted my chicken. I wanted my spaghetti. I didn't want to. You see what happens? The disqualified overseer through compulsion, through compulsion, through the guilt trip, said to the guy, hey, empty your fridge, take your chicken, take your spaghetti and give it to the lady. She has a need. Now, 
a very valid point because there was the need and she has a need. But it wasn't the body caring for the body. It looks like it. With carnal eyes, it looks like the body is caring for the body. When reality, you know what's happening? You know what's happening? Because of the grumbling. Because it was manipulated. You start to see the formula of carnality. The formula of the flesh. Left to fester leads to wickedness. Because the brother isn't cheerfully giving, hey, sister, here's some chicken. And it's a joy for him. Because the disqualified overseer compelled. The disqualified overseer gave the guilt trip. This is where pastors have to be very careful. Very careful. Do not manipulate. Do not compel anybody. Because you cannot. You must not. That's why I'm so in love with Paul. I'm so in love with like everybody in the Bible. But I'm so in love with Paul. He goes out of his way purposely saying, listen, I don't want to compel you to do anything. He says, I have, I have every right, I mean, to, biblically, I have every right to be supported by you financially. But he says, no. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. I deny that right. Because freely I have received, freely I give. And what does he give? Jesus. Jesus. Free of charge. You see? I love that so much. Pastors have to be very careful. Because you do see a lot of manipulation in churches. Christians have to be very careful because you see a lot of manipulation in the church. Christian unto Christian. Oh, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. That's carnal. It's the way of the flesh. Oh, you're not a good Christian. Oh, look, you're not an awesome Christian like I am. Remember the rugby match from our study in Romans? A baby can learn. The problem happens when babies stay babies. But when a baby learns, you see, in a manner that is holy unto the Lord, The baby can learn to love humility, to love meekness, to love one another. So that the guy who maybe he was grumbling, you know, eight months ago, 
He wanted his chicken. He wanted his spaghetti. He was grumbling. And he was a baby. He was a milk drinker. And in the course of time, as the spirit moves within a fellowship, in that holy rugby match, you know, going back to our, hearkening back to our studies in Romans, in that holy rugby match, where the baby can see and learn and understand within the body, where in a fellowship where the formula is right, and where the formula is right, listen, you're going to have babies. But what you're not going to have is babies staying babies. So the guy who was formerly grumbling, like, I, I, I don't want to give my chicken. It's good chicken. I don't want to give my spaghetti. It's good spaghetti. It's for me. And now he's learned to reckon the old man dead. He's learned to crucify his flesh. He's learned to die. He's learned to carry his cross. The instrument of death. And now the sisters in need, the brothers in need, whoever is in need. And he's saying, listen, here's my chicken. Here's my spaghetti. Here's the killer recipe. You're going to love it. You see? It's the body caring for the body. That's works. That's what Brother James is writing about. That's works. Oh, sola fide, sola fide, sola fide. Listen, I love you. Sola fide is dead, according to the truth of God's holy word. Sola fide is dead. Let's go back to James chapter 2. A little side note, you know, before we get in, you know, before we continue where we left off, a little side note to James chapter 2, verse 21. It's very important to understand and know that Abraham did offer Isaac. I mean, look at verse 21. Abraham offered Isaac. He did offer Isaac. Now, the Lord stopped him, but he did offer Isaac. I have something to say to parents. Parents in regard to baby dedications. Now, baby dedications, they're beautiful. There's nothing wrong with the desire for the Lord to bless a child. But sometimes, sometimes there are selfish ambitions to baby dedications where, you know, a parent say, Lord, bless my child. Who is mine? You know what's better? Here is my son, Lord. He's yours. Here is my daughter, Lord. Baby girl. She's yours, Lord. And a parent's commitment to the Lord to train the child in the ways of righteousness, according to the word, according to the spirit. You see? And Brother James, in explaining works, he points to Abraham 
in verse 21 and let's continue where we left off in James chapter 2 verse 22. He says this in verse 22. Do you see? Do you see, he says. The example that we just read in Abraham, in, 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 in Genesis 22 regarding Abraham and Isaac. And brother James is saying, do you see that faith was working together with his works? Now, remember, Abraham heard, Abraham heard the Lord. He could have dismissed what he heard, but he absolutely, he didn't. He didn't. He could have dismissed. But he didn't. And Brother James says here in verse 22, do you see? That faith was working together with his works. And by works, faith was made perfect. When we see the obedience of Abraham, of which James, inspired of the Spirit, and by the Spirit says that that's what works is. We see that obedience is a major, major, major ingredient to perfection. And the Christian, you and me, the believer, you and me, We're supposed to move on to perfection. We're not supposed to be babies in Christ and stay babies. It's beautiful to be a baby in Christ when you're a baby in Christ. But if you're a believer and you're a milk drinker, in year two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and still on milk, we got problems. We're supposed to move on to perfection. Remember Hebrews, if the Lord permits. You see, God knows that babies can't eat steak. And he has his vessels, such as Chloe and Paul, to teach. To teach. You see? And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but also understand that Satan also knows that babies can't eat steak and he also has vessels. So who is the Christian to heed? You got Paul, you got Chloe, you got Alexander, you got Himenaeus. Who is the Christian to heed? Formula. Formula. God tells us who the qualified overseers are. God tells us who the disqualified overseers are. The Christian must choose wisely. You see? In verse 23, in closing, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I mean, look what happened through the obedience of Abraham. 
Look what happened. Scripture was fulfilled. Scripture was fulfilled. Verse 23, Scripture was fulfilled. How did that happen? Through obedience. Listen, as a last day's generation, there are perilous things that we will experience, but there is a crown that awaits you. It's not here. It's in paradise. Choosing to obey the Lord. Understand that you will wear that crown one day. And we'll rejoice together wearing our crowns in our glorified bodies. You and me. And fulfilling Holy Scripture. Fulfilling Holy Scripture. Look at, we, we, we looked at Genesis 22. What did Abraham do of his own volition? I mean, all the instructions were of the Lord. What did Abraham do of his own volition? I'll give you the answer. He obeyed the Lord. You see? And scripture was fulfilled. You and me. Just like Abraham. When we choose to obey. And we do obey. Not just today. Not just tomorrow. Not just for the week. Not just for the month. Not just for the year. For the rest of our lives. To our last dying breath. Obeying the Lord. You will put on that crown one day and fulfill scripture. Here in verse 23, at the end, he says, and he was called a friend of God. But don't forget, Jesus called his disciples servants. And in the course of time, he later tells them, I don't call you guys servants anymore. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because a friend doesn't wonder what the master is doing. That's what servants do. Servants wonder, you know, what is the Lord doing? What is the Lord doing? I don't know. I don't know what it was. Remember the example we gave about bond servanthood where you and me, let's go back in time. We get in our time machine. We go back in time and there's our master. We're servants in his tent, big tent. And where it's our, it's day one on the job. We don't know anything about him. And he calls us servants. And we are servants. And in the course of time, we no longer wonder. You don't put out the salt and pepper on the table anymore because we have learned, you know, remember, I'm the cook and, you know, you serve the food. I'm in the kitchen and you serve the food. And before, you know, you would put the salt and pepper out and he would like put it over here. And because, and then we learn that, okay, he, this is how he likes this. This is how he likes this. This is how he likes that. And we're still servants. But then one day the master says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. 
Because friends don't wonder. Friends know. And that's what happens with obedience. To our master, Jesus Christ. We are the clay. He is the potter. That's exactly what happens. Through obedience, yes, scripture will be fulfilled. But at the same time, friends don't wonder. Friends of God don't wonder. They know. In verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. But my pastor says, sola fide, sola fide. Listen, they condemn themselves. Get a new pastor. Get a new pastor. Likewise, in verse 25, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Remember our studies in Joshua? The book of Joshua, remember? And I love how Brother James points to these beautiful, beautiful examples of faith and works and justification. In both Abraham and Rahab, male and female, like Paul and Chloe, male and female, Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant, the package deal. Package deal, faith and works. Package deal. Faith and works are inseparable. Package deal. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.